Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Chardine Frazera. She is the president and CEO of CF Health Advisors, a health policy and business strategy advisory firm, which she co-founded with her partner Jeremy Brown. Prior to CF Health Advisors, Ms. Frazera was the acting administrator of CMS, where she was responsible for all policy and operational management for CMS. Over her 30-year career at CMS, she has been the chief operating officer of CMS, deputy director of the Center for Medicaid and State Operations, regional administrator of the Philadelphia Regional Office, as well as various other positions in the Medicaid and Medicare programs. She is currently a board member for several companies and an investor and advisor to early stage healthcare technology companies. In addition, she is an adjunct professor at George Washington University Milken Institute School of Public Health. Hi, Charlene. Welcome to our podcast series, Woman to Woman. Great. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited today. Thank you. So you have a very unique profile uh, among our podcast guests. So can you tell a little bit about uh, what you've done? Sure. Yeah. So I always think it's fun to start with my history, like how I even started, because I think it's a little bit different than probably most people, you're, most women you're going to be listening to. Um, so I started my career when the, I graduated from high school. I got a letter from the Internal Revenue Service. My father opened it because I was in, still in high school. And he said, okay, here, they're offering you a job, take it. It has good benefits and you'll never get fired. I'm like, okay, sure. So I took a job with the federal government. Uh, You know, I wound up staying there for 38 years. I worked eight years at the IRS. And then I went to what was HICFA at the time, which is now CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And I worked there for 38 years. Uh, You know, I started as a typist at the IRS. By the time I went to, to HICFA, I was an accountant. I'm not a degreed accountant, just a two-year, you know, enough accounting credits to qualify for the job. And, um, you know, then from then spent all my 30-year career there doing pretty much everything there is to do in CMS. So it was, you know, probably a a great career that, you know, started with a typing job in my first job to becoming the uh, acting administrator at CMS before I actually left. So that's, that's very interesting. Straight out of high school, you take up a job and you actually stick to the job, maybe a little bit of moves, but you still work for federal government for such a long time. Was it um, the same for all of the other kids coming out of high school for you? Or did you have classmates who did something completely different and you were the unique person who actually ended up with federal government? Yeah, so uh, I think I'm pretty unique. I mean, I think, you know, I went to a big high school. We had 1,500 people in our class. So it was a giant high school. So people sort of got divided, right? You got divided between, they called it business, but it was really like being a secretary, honestly, a shorthand typing or those kind of courses. And then they had people who took college courses. So I actually took the business courses because that was my dream job was being a secretary. Uh, So I think especially for my group, (laughs) particularly unique because most people stayed in those jobs and loved them. For me, you know, I was so fortunate to have great a great mentor and mentors, unofficial, informal, that really helped me in my career to move. And I would just say quickly, the main mentor, I was a secretary and I thought I was going to get promoted to this bigger secretary job. 
And everybody thought I was going to get it. And they announced the person and I did it. And I was humiliated. I actually called in sick the next day. I was just, I, I couldn't believe I could even like not get the job. And I didn't know how I was going to face people. My boss at the time called me at home and said, what are you doing? And I, you know, I'm crying and I'm telling him I'm, I can't come to work. He goes, okay, you're coming to work tomorrow or I'm coming to your house. So I come into work and he actually had papers sitting in front of me to apply to Essex Community College because I had no college degrees. He said, here's what you're gonna do. You're better than this job and here's what you're gonna do. And he gave me the money to enroll in a community college to get college credits. And it, it literally changed my life. Had it not been for him, I would have still been a secretary. He was the one who saw that I had more than I thought I had in me to be able to do something. So I owe him a lot. He literally changed my life. Sometimes mentors, right, their relationship, their advice and... Asked me, right, tried and I said no. And he said, well, that's not acceptable. And, you know, I was just amazed that even then, right, at that level, when you're a senior leader, right, I'd already been there 35 years and I still didn't think I could do the job until he told me I could. And, you know, it was, again, amazing. So self-doubt is something that I think we women have a lot more than men do. Um, and clearly you were in a situation where you doubted yourself despite everybody else knowing and believing that you could do the job. Any other naysayers and how did you get rid of your own self-doubt? Yeah. So I'd like to say I'm over it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think for, for some reason, and I talked to lots of women and I think we were talking earlier, I was telling you, I am always shocked when I hear successful executive women, when I say to them, you know, I always thought, oh my gosh, they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. And it was shocking how many women said, I know I feel the same way. And it's like, I don't understand why we do that to ourselves. But I think what's important is acknowledging that you're feeling that and telling yourself, I need to stop because women, many women feel this way. I'm not alone and women at all levels of leadership feel this way. So I need to appreciate that that's not real and that we are good and that we can do our jobs and we're not fakers. And I think being aware of it is probably the most important thing I could say. And then think about that to give yourself the confidence to say, stop, I, I know I can do this or I'm gonna work really hard to make sure I can. Any other things that you see women doing more um, at workplace that really inhibits them from getting where they should be or where they need to be. Yeah. So one of my favorite examples is um, I call it the thank you syndrome. I don't know how many times uh, I, you, I've been in a meeting and I'm sure you have too, where you've done something and you're in the meeting, you're presenting and, and you're the leader and they say, wow, you know, thank you. You've done such a great job. And we will say things like, well, I really wasn't, you know, my team really did all the work. So you need to acknowledge you had a team, but try saying thank you. Try, try just saying thank you. And it doesn't demean the team. And it does just acknowledge that's all they really need is a thank you. The second thing I will say that I've said many times in a meeting or somebody says, well, you, wow, you did a good job. I say, oh, it was nothing. No, it was something. But for some reason, those words come out of my mouth and before I know it. So it's really, I call it just practicing saying thank you. So when someone says to me the next time, wow, you did a great job, thank you. 
it's shocking how acceptable that is, right? Like it felt weird the first time, like, well, I need to keep talking. When I said thank you, I was like, that was all I needed to say. And then I just needed to move on. I call it the thank you syndrome. Just practice saying thank you. We don't need to justify ourselves. We don't need to explain it. We don't need to demean it. I don't even think we realize we're doing. Yeah, we do undermine a lot of our accomplishments just by the words we use. I think words are just so powerful. And as you said, a simple thank you sometimes can say so much more than us pulling ourselves down. One one other very interesting fact. You said straight out of high school, you took the job. So when you were progressing in your career, I know you went back to uh, community college, got um, a degree, but were there instances where you felt that maybe a college degree would have been better? Yeah, so it's interesting. When I talk to people about my bio, I never start with, what I started with today. And I don't even talk about my education. I just talk about what I've done. And I think it's amazing because there's a big difference between how people see you when you start with, I don't have a college degree. It almost doesn't matter what else I've done. If I start with, well, here's what I've done. It's a very different conversation. And then the education becomes less important. It was a struggle to get through that. And again, I think it was really mentors like or just people giving me advice, like saying, okay, don't do that. So that's one example about the college degree and the education and starting my bio. A second story, which again, contrasted to when I was already, I had left CMS and I was doing some other work and I was on a panel with a whole bunch of ex-CEOs of pharma companies and they all go first. And you know, their, their stories are amazing, right? Like they were CEOs of multiple companies, you know, they did amazing things. And it gets to me and I start with, well, you know, I work for the federal government, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was telling my, my son about him. He's like, okay, that's a terrible way to, to introduce yourself. Cause I was telling him, I'm so like, they're so amazing. He goes, you're amazing. Here's what you're going to do the next time. Next time you're going to start out. You ran the largest insurance company in the world. You had a budget of $2 trillion, blah, 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 blah. And when the next time I did that, so this was a pretty, you know, we did this regularly. The next time I did that, I, of course I went last and I gave my bio and they all just sat there and like looked at me and I thought, oh my God, like, what have I done? And they're like, wow, that's amazing. So, you know, just this story of, you know, we don't start with minimizing what we've done, right? It's like, here's what I, here's my accomplishments. And then the rest of it is like a secondary conversation. No one said, well, you can't get this job because you don't have a degree. And I think the reason that was true is you know, I just worked really hard at whatever I did. I'll say it's two things. It's working hard at what you do. And it's always appreciating getting smarter. So for me, I never felt like, well, I know everything. And these people are stupid. I was just so eager to learn. I'm like, okay, teach me everything. So I kind of felt like I was going to school my whole career because I'm learning like every job I have, everything you do, you don't know how to do it until you do it. So I just felt like I sort of had my learning during my career at CMS. When we talk to people, I say like, I feel like I have a PhD in CMS. They do say on the job learning is pretty much 70% of where your knowledge comes from. So to your point, if you're working hard, you're absorbing everything. I think you're learning more than anybody can learn in the school. Absolutely. But if you had a chance to do everything all over, would you do anything different? Uh, you know, I don't, I mean, I would always, I always say I would love to have gone to college, right? Like I would love to have gone to college and lived the college life. And, but you know, when I look, when I think about that, just like anything in your life, I wouldn't be who I am today. Been a little smarter about interactions and how to deal with people who are different than you. 
Uh, you know, I think so maybe just some of the maybe personalities. It took a while to figure out how that worked. Uh, so I think that maybe you just maybe being a little more aware of that. But, you know, again, I sort of am who I am because of the, my career. And, you know, I will tell you, it, it's interesting when I look back, I don't ever remember a time when I said, wow, I didn't get that job because I didn't go to college. Because I think who you are how you work, how you interact with people speaks so much more to, you know, your ability than a college degree. How, having said that, I will say times are different today and you need college degrees. I'm not saying people shouldn't go to college. Like you definitely should go to college. That's a bit, that's important. But, you know, for me, it, it didn't really seem to make that much of a difference in the end. I know you're a very determined, very strong woman, uh, with very strong work ethic. But who were these people that really helped you shape who you are. Yeah. So I mentioned a couple of the mentors in work. I would say outside of work, uh, two people actually, one, well, I'll say three, my father, my husband, my first husband and my son. So my father, you know, he was always very determined that, you know, we were smart, that I, you know, my, I have a brother and a sister. We were smart. We can do what we want to do. Like nothing should hold us back. Now, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so it wasn't about college, but it was always about working hard and doing the best you can at something. So obviously, right, growing up with a father like that put instilled those sort of work habits. I would say my first husband was a fireman who died in the line of duty. But what he taught me every day when I came home and I would be frustrated or sad or I felt like I had to keep working, like I have five more things to do. He would say, OK, your job is important and you do important things, but is somebody going to die if you don't answer that email right now? Is, is, is somebody's life going to change if you don't make that phone call? He said, if it isn't, you really need to learn to take a deep breath and you can deal with it all tomorrow, which is so important for women. Work-life balance is like so hard. And I don't even know what, how you do that. I'm not saying I can tell you how to do that, but I do think having a home environment where it was put in perspective. He didn't say what, he didn't say, don't do that. Like, I'm tired of you working. But it was this conversation about like, and compared to him, like he was a fireman, like he did save lives, right? So it was a very different perspective on how much of our time together had to be, had to be work-related versus not. And then the third one I would say is my son. I think, you know, for me, raising him taught me a lot about patience, about communicating, about trying to convince someone, albeit a child, to do something they didn't want to do, but for the right reason. So I think those are all really important skills. And you don't need a child, you can have a dog, you could have family members, right? It doesn't have to be a child necessarily. Like for me, it was, but it could be anybody. And I think it's recognizing how you deal with people and situations that don't go exactly the way you want them to. And how do you manage that and, and take care of that in a thoughtful, patient way? First of all, we're sorry about your husband. Thank you. I think these days the kids are so mature. Even with my girls, I see that all the time. They give me priceless advice, which at their age, I would not have even thought of. So I think they're a lot more savvy about things around them. So for somebody who's just getting out of college now and wants to be where you were, you know, in a really um, impactful position in the federal government, what would your advice be? What kind of jobs should they be taking to get to that point? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a general answer. The success of my career was based on having a lot of jobs in the government. 
So I didn't have one job for 30 years. And it was always taking the next job that I thought was more challenging than the one I had. So I would say it is about learning a lot about something, not a little bit. So my, what I wanted to do was learn a lot about the agency as a whole, right? I didn't want to just do cost reports or writing regulations or a particular issue. So I think one, one of my pieces of advice, and I think this is true even outside of the government is, again, it's just continuing to learn. Like you shouldn't be satisfied with the same job your whole career like if you know and, and you won't be if you're smart and you want to learn so I think you know one key is being flexible about what your job is and I would say it's not always the job you think it is you know like you say well I want that job but you don't get that job for some reason or you know you think about it and it's not it take take another job that you might not think is the right job but you're learning something new that's valuable so I think flexibility and you know what you do is really important I do think, you know, I think it is interesting. A first job is important. You know, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter what your first job is. I think it is for me, right? So going to the federal government was my first job. That was life-changing, right? You know, who knows if I had taken some other job what, where I would have ended up. And I do see even today with a lot of college graduates, you know, their take that first job is pretty important because it's where you start and you get a comfort zone and, you know, you get pr pretty comfortable and you like the job or you don't and you quit. But I think be thoughtful about what that first job is, but thoughtful in what is it and where can it take me? And what can I learn about that that will take me to the next place that I want to be? Yeah, one of my mentors way back when had said something very similar. Um, he had said, you know, Job description is something on the paper. Nobody goes back to it. It's only for hiding. What you make of your job is up to you. So how exactly. much you want to learn, how much you want to expand your sphere of influence, how much, um, how many people you interact with is all up to you. So it was like, make that job description count and make it into what you want. So something very similar to what you said. Yeah, totally agree. That's great description. Any um, values that you have abided by that have really helped you stay grounded? You know, I think everybody always says honesty and integrity, right? Because you, you, I think I feel like people say it so much because it's the one you're supposed to say. But I will say I have found that there is nothing better than that. And I am very proud that when I left the federal government and people would talk about me, like one of the things they said is, you know, we always thought that you were, you had, like, we totally trusted you that we were always doing the right thing. And sometimes, you know, job decisions, like decisions you make about, like, for example, CMS policy, you know, people are like, I don't know, like, what's behind that. But I, I'm very proud that I think people felt like I was just doing the right thing. It did, you know, whether people liked it or not, it didn't matter. I did the right thing. So I would say one is, really honesty and integrity. Like that is so important that people trust you to make the right decisions and that people trust you when you tell them you're going to do something that, that matters and that they can believe in that. I think the second thing is, and I don't know that I would have described it this way five years ago, but I think now when I look back, I would call it inclusion. It's this idea that, and you know, I will define inclusion as being very, aware of other people's needs and their perceptions of what's happening to them. And that is so important. You know, sometimes perceptions are what kill us. It's not the reality. It's a perception of how someone perceives that. So I think that's so important. And I'll give you just a quick little example of, 
So one of my jobs, I got promoted and they put me in a cubicle, literally outside the men's bathroom, literally outside. Like I could literally see men all day going into the bathroom. It was disgusting. But, you know, I thought, okay, of course I told them I'd like to move and, you know, they didn't really move me, but I stayed in that cubicle for probably six or seven months. And then I went on detail to another job and got another cubicle. The reason that's important is then when I was a manager and I was assigning seat, I appreciated that's where they sit is important. And I'm sure when they put me in that cubicle, they weren't thinking, they weren't punishing me. They're just like, that's the only space we have to sit there. So I wanted to make sure that I understood that when people get a seat, that's important. So I call inclusion really thinking about who are the people that you're leading and how, how is your decision being perceived by them and others? Because believe me, how other people see you is super important also. So I would, I would say those are the two I would really put together. I say honesty and integrity, I kind of put those together. And then inclusion, like thoughtful inclusion is super important. Perceptions, correct. Mm. There are so many perceptions about women. Um, did you ever have an instance where you had to face some of these typical perceptions and how did you deal with it? Yeah, so I, I think my best story is I applied for a job to be a leader of this group and there was, and I didn't work there in that group at all. But I applied and thought, well, I don't know, maybe I have a chance. But most people, again, thought the person who was there in the acting position was going to get it. And he was an older man. So they announced the job and I get it. And I'm like as shocked as everybody. And I'm super excited. So, you know, I go down with my little box of stuff and he's still sitting in the office, which was supposed to be my office. So I thought, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And I'm, you know, 20 years younger. I'm like, oh, I don't really know what to do right now. So I took my box and I, there was a cubicle right outside his office. And I just put my stuff there. And literally at that moment, I just put it there because I didn't know what else to do. But I sat it there and I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit here for a while. So I went home and I talked to my husband and I'm like, I don't really, I don't know what to do. Right. So we talked a lot about it. He didn't really have much of an answer. He's like, you know, just sort of let me vent. So I went back in and I spent, you know, a week in that cubicle and, you know, we would have meetings, but we'd have them in a meeting room. And it was a little bit awkward. I finally realized after the end of the week, I got up early on a, and he came in early in the morning and I got up super early. I was in the office at 530. I went into the office and I slid his stuff, the half of the desk, and I put my stuff on the other half of the desk. He comes rolling in and he's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I just thought we'd share the office. And we sat like that for two weeks every day. And finally, I come in on the third week and there's a big bouquet of flowers on the desk. His stuff is gone. And it just said, thank you. That was so impactful, one, to him and to me, right? Because I needed him to help me, right? I didn't really know what I was doing. So we created a very strong business relationship, which lasted for a long time. The perception the other employees saw about how I treated that situation was even more impactful. I mean, you know, people would talk about that story for years and just say like how awesome that was that I really did the best thing. I, I did it the right way. I didn't embarrass him. I didn't make them feel uncomfortable. Like going in and making him move and yelling and having a battle would have accomplished nothing. So really by, you know, that perception is important. And I wasn't even really aware of it at the time, to be honest. Like I didn't think through all those things, but 
just like my instinct on how to deal with it, because thinking about like, how would I feel if I were him and appreciating that, I think really made me one, stick to my value of inclusion. Like how do I deal with him? And then secondly, wow, the perception of others was really, really, really important. That's, that's such an awesome story. And it really emphasizes, you know, they always say a good leader is somebody who treats others like they want to be treated. And that's a great example right there. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was able to tell him, so I never told him I was sorry, right? I didn't say I'm sorry I got the job, which in our earlier conversations, I'm talking about like how we say things. I say to him, I'm very excited about this job and I hope we can really work together. Like I really need you and I hope we can work together. But I never apologized for it, even though my first instinct was to go into him and say, I'm really sorry, but, and I didn't do that. So I'm proud of myself that I didn't apologize, but I did appreciate that he was important to, to me and to that organization to keep going. Any specific aha moments where somebody gave you a line or an instance um, where you met somebody and they left a lasting impression on you. Yeah, so I have a, it's really a great story. I was on a train. So to set this up, I had a boss who was, who couldn't have been more different than me. We were totally different personalities. He was very fiery and preachy and I wasn't like that at all. Literally the night before he's supposed to go to, to New York to give a speech to investors, which I knew nothing about. He says, you have to, you have to go. I can't go. Here's my speech, which was literally his speech. There was no way I could deliver his speech. I'm not him. So I'm sitting on the train and I am frantically trying to rewrite this speech and my, you know, two and a half hour train ride to New York. And I'm like a crazy person. I'm sitting in my seat and I'm sure I'm all huddled in a bunch. And there was an older gentleman sitting next to me, three piece suit, you know, the vest and everything. And he taps me on the shoulder and I'm sure I was acted aggravated. I'm like, yes, can I help you? Because obviously I didn't want to be bothered. He's like, he's like, I know you're really busy and I can see, you know, you're, you're very anxious. Let me just give you a little piece of advice. He says, I'm 82 years old. I get up and I work every day and every day I get butterflies in my stomach. You need butterflies in your stomach because if you don't get butterflies in your stomach, you're not living your life. And I'm like, wow. Oh my God. And to, and that re- literally at that moment, it's like, okay, I'm probably, I don't, I might not do very good at this. It doesn't matter. Right. I'm challenging myself to do something different. It's making me scared as crap. I am very nervous, but you know what? I think I can do it. I got butterflies in my stomach and I will do the best I can do. And literally it, it changed that day. And I went, I gave the speech. I didn't do great, but I didn't, beat myself up for not doing it great either. I'm like, I learned a lot from that, right? I learned what I could do. I was better than I thought I was going to be. I wasn't good, but I did challenge myself and I appreciated you need butterflies in your stomach. So that to me every day, and even today, right? If I take on a client, it's like, oh, I don't know. That's making me kind of nervous. It's like, you don't want to be bad nervous, but wow, that's exciting. I think I can do that. So my, my motto, uh, whenever I start feeling an- anxious, I'm like, okay, if I'm getting butterflies in my stomach, it's a good thing. I'm living my life. What a powerful statement. And I'm so sad. I didn't get the, I didn't get his name. I didn't get anything right. I don't, I mean, I, you know, I appreciated it, but I didn't appreciate him as a person telling me that, but it was super impactful. So if you were not here today, what else would you be doing? So actually I wanted to be a teacher. You know, when I was little, my brother and sister were younger than me. And I used to literally make them pretend like they were at school. 
Now they both say they both say my tutoring was helpful. <laughs> I made them read books. I gave them assignments. We did math. So, so I really wanted to be a teacher. Uh, you know, given that I didn't go to college, you know, the question would have been if I had really not uh, been a secretary or not not got promoted out of that pool. Would I have pursued a college degree to go to college to get to be a teacher? I don't really know. I will say, though, I'm very thankful that uh, I am an adjunct professor at, at George Washington University now. So it's like, yay, I got to it in a very roundabout, weird way. <laughs> well, you found your calling. That's important. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> and I appreciate The only thing I will say is I appreciate it. It's hard. It's a lot of hard work. Uh, what else gives you joy? So apart from teaching, clearly that's something you're very passionate about. You teach now, which is great. Anything else that really makes you happy? Yeah, so, yeah, so when I do Myers-Briggs, I, I, I am a big extrovert. Like uh, it, it, It's like off the chart extrovert. So what I love, I love gathering people. I love events. I love parties. I love socially interacting with people. So for me, like COVID has been very difficult, right? Because I like people in social interaction, but what I've learned over Zoom through COVID, you know, you can organize a ton of good interaction, even if you're not in a room, but that like, I look so forward to those big Zoom meetings. So like two things, like we have a big recipe club. So every once a month, a bunch of friends, we get the other 20 of us for recipes. That to me, those kind of things, like I am so excited when I have some event planned that I'm hosting and can look forward to with all of the complications it takes of doing that, right? I mean, it's not just talking to people, it's you know everything you need to do to make that work. So for me, I, I get my joy and my energy from being with other people. You mentioned COVID. We all learned something out of that. What I learned about COVID is we're all people. Like, you know, so you're in meetings and, and I've learned a lot about people through COVID, I mean, through Zoom, that you wouldn't know when you're in a work meeting environment. So one of my best stories, which, you know, I'm sure everybody has lots of stories like this, but my best one is I'm on the board of a company and we have investors and, you know, they're, they're very nice, but they're not very, you know, we don't talk a lot about their families or anything like that. So we're on this board meeting and one of the investors, you suddenly hear in the background, this kid screaming and a woman's voice say, I told you not to do that. And he, he like has this look of horror on his face, right? He like, and he has no idea. It was like the first time you ever saw him like getting unglued. And he's, he just looks at us and he says, obviously we're not having a very good day in our household. <laughs> and then he went on to say, he said, let me just tell you, it's worse than even what you're hearing. They're on the third floor of the house. So just so you get a real appreciation, and it was amazing how much different we saw him and how he even interacted with us in the next board meeting. Like he was much more casual and it was sort of like, we kind of were like a, a more of a part of his life than he ever shared with us before. So people were like, hey, how are the kids? And he's like, oh my gosh, the kids. So, you know, I think those stories to me made Zoom more personal, right? In a bizarre way. 
Yeah, no, we've taken work to home. So we've really brought homes to everybody at work now. It's never happened before. Right, and it's animals, right? Their dogs are barking and cats are crawling on their shoulders. And I think it was just really, really nice seeing people like, taken aback like themselves like what do I do oh my gosh so it was it was super I think that was the best part of the zoom meetings for me so what is something others don't know about you that they might discover either on zoom or off zoom yeah um, let me think about that so I think so one of the things I think you wouldn't learn about me because I don't do social media very much but I love to hike and I've done some amazing hiking so Machu Picchu, we hiked, we did the Santiago Trail, um, we hiked in Argentina to Patagonia and hiked, so love, love, love hiking, and um, challenging myself to continue to do the hikes that the group does, so we always go on group hikes, and you know, they always have levels, so I'm always determined that I'm not, I'm not going to be in the old people group at the end, right? Like I work hard to make sure I'm in shape that I'm with the rest of the, 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 the young people who are doing the hike. So people would expect that of me, right? Given that I work hard at things, but the hiking uh, to me is like the one thing I do a lot of that I think people wouldn't, wouldn't appreciate that I am interested in like that much outdoor physical competitiveness. I don't feel like I'm really competitive in normally, but I guess I kind of am because I can't just do the hiking to hike. I have to be in the in the group that goes the furthest. So. We were just talking about Machu Picchu. So two of my really good girlfriends, uh, we've all been trying to get to Machu Picchu and then COVID happened. We never realized that all of us wanted to go there. So we just met recently. We're like, okay, what is the one place we want to go after COVID? And they're like, Machu Picchu. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. We should catch up afterwards. Yes, fabulous trip. Just getting back a little bit on um, hiding, right? So if, if you are um, hiding, clearly you want somebody who is competent, somebody who's passionate, and maybe a little bit competitive so they can go on hiking beach. <laughs> but what? other qualities do you look for yeah so you know i can't tell you the number of times we debated hiring people right when i was at cms and the resumes are important to get the interview beyond that the resume actually didn't matter to me many people say well but look at this person has this i, said, I don't care the resume gets you in the door I want the person, I want to know who that person is. So to me, it was about being honest about who you are, right? I mean, so many people came in and they wanted to, they gave us answers that they read from a book. Their answers weren't cohesive when you asked it different ways because they're trying to tell you who they think you want them to be. My biggest advice is just be honest. And honestly, if you don't get the job being honest, you probably shouldn't have gotten it. But to me, it is all about being a real person and really just being honest and open and being a personable person. You know, I'm not saying you're like super friendly, but just somebody that can you can talk to and sit down and have a conversation and that are aware of themselves is most important. And every single time when we picked the, the person over the resume, it worked. So now, now you have your own company. How is it different, like being an entrepreneur? How is that different from, you know, leading a big um, federal division? 
Yeah. So yeah. the first thing is I'll say, I don't have people anymore. <laughs> you know, so in a big organization, right? You have lots of people who are helping you do your job. <laughs> so I think that's the first thing I learned. And just a quick story, when I first started doing it, I, I said to a friend, I said, well, no, they didn't pay me there. Well, did you send them an invoice? I'm like, invoice? They're like, yeah, they just don't pay you. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, 10 years in, right? I learned quickly about invoicing. So I think one is learning to be more self-sufficient, right? You have to organize yourself. Organization is critically important when you're an entrepreneur. You can't really be going off the rails in a, in a ton of different directions. That's one. I think second, it is about appreciating your limitations and growing from those. So a lot of times, you know, in, in entrepreneurship, I think you want to be everything to everybody and you're, you aren't and you can't be. And I think it's learning how to be confident about what you can do and being confident about what you can, but appreciating whether you can get there and do that, or it's something that's just out of your realm and it's, it can't happen. I think that's really important because you can't sell yourself and not produce. So it has to be, you have to be realistic in that. And I'm certainly not saying you stick in a small box, like this is what I do and I can do, but it goes back to the butterflies in the stomach to some degree, right? It's like, mm, I don't know. I think I can do that. And, but having the confidence, yes, I can do that. It's a little bit different for me, but I can. And then not, and not even trying to do the things you're like, no, that is just not going to happen. That awareness is really important. That's it. And we get all of our business from inbound calls. Like we don't have a website. We don't pitch business. So that's pretty, you know, to me, that's, we're very proud of the fact that we obviously do a good job because people refer people to us versus us having to find work. And I think that's really important. And I think it is because we stick to that model, really, right? It's like, we don't do things we know we can't. We, we don't do things just for money. I'll say that the, the last thing, we are very careful about the clients we take because we, if we don't think we can do the job or we don't think we can produce value, and if they don't think we can, we don't want the job. You build your reputation and... As you said, reputation is extremely important because again, it goes back to that whole perception point. If your yeah. reputation yeah. is good, the perception is yeah. you will say no if you can't do it, but if you do agree, you will yeah. deliver. Exactly. And then the second thing I would say that's super important is networking, but I would say networking with a purpose, right? So a lot of people network, but they just network to network. That's not really very helpful. But I think it is about... Um, networking in the right way. And, you know, it's about, so a, a good example I can give you is sort of networking and a little bit of my value proposition. A company called me and said, you know, we have a CMS question. So I helped them. I answered the question. We talked to CMS and I don't know, maybe I did two hours worth of work and they're like, well, you know, let us pay. I'm like, no, it's fine. Like it really wasn't even worth billing somebody for two hours, right? It wasn't worth it. And I never heard from them again. And I thought, well, that's, that's okay, right? And somebody said to me, like, why do you do work for free? I'm like, ah, it just wasn't worth it. Actually, they called me four years later to be on their board. Wow. And they're like, yeah, you were so helpful. And we knew you were so smart and you were so gracious to help us. And what I did for them had huge value to them because answering that question made a big difference in which decision they made in their company. So I helped them make the right one by giving them the two hours of advice. So you never know, right? So we talk to lots of people, like even if it's somebody we aren't going to do business with or, you know, a company that we can't really help, we're happy to give them some general advice. We're happy for an introduction. So it's not, we don't go to big networking events and hand out business cards and, 
you know, say, hey, here's what we do. It, we really, it's, it's networking on a smaller, more one-on-one, -on -one, I call it networking with anybody who, somebody sends us and wants to talk or meet us, we do that. LinkedIn, right? A lot of people ignore people when they send you a message on LinkedIn. Like, no, I'm, you know, I go in and it's like, sure, we'll talk to you. Like, I don't know, maybe we have no business to do with you. It doesn't matter. So I think those two things, right? I think they're important. Absolutely. Any advice for a woman who want to be leaders, either in, um, you know, a job setting or an entrepreneurship, what would you advise? Yeah, so yeah. I have a couple, a couple of things. One, I would say, and I hope this doesn't sound too cheeky, but I think it's embracing your uniqueness, right? We don't embrace, we are different. Like we are not like, we aren't like each other, right? Women aren't all the same. And we certainly aren't like men. And I think we tend to think, well, we need to be like either that person or we need to be more like men. No, we don't. Like we need to embrace who we, each of us, and we're all very unique than the next person. So when people ask me like, who are your competitors? I'm like, I don't have competitors and I can't compete with other people. Nobody knows what I know. Nobody had the experiences I have. So you have to, I, I really believe you have to think of yourself that way. You are unique. We are all very different and embrace what is unique about you because that's what makes you valuable to others. So I think the second one is, and it's different than uniqueness, it's really appreciating your value. And it gets back to my thank you story, right? And this, well, it wasn't very hard. It's like, no, really take a few moments to appreciate the value that you bring, not just because you're different, but because of how smart you are, how you handled the situation, right? So those are things that most people could do the same thing, but your value is bigger and better than someone else. So I think those two things to me are just super important. And, and you know, to just be yourself, like we try to be other people and you want good qualities, like you want to learn from other people, right? So people say, well, but you know, you just told me I need to be like this. I said, no, I didn't. I told you, you need to learn from other people how they're handling situations and embrace that as your style, if that works for you. But pretending to be somebody else or trying to act like somebody else, it, it doesn't work. It really, it really doesn't work. So I, I think it sounds pretty simple, but it's very hard to do. And I think it's a conscious thoughtfulness about it. You have to think about that. It doesn't happen naturally. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Charlene, for your time being here. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy and I good luck to everyone. This is a well, great, I wish you all luck. There's a ton of good experiences out here and I hope you all embrace them and enjoy. Thank you.